0: Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, my good friend from NFL Films, Greg Cosell. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, you watched Detroit, Tampa Bay, you told me. I watched it as well. You want to start there?
1: Sure, because, you know, I think I'm developing a budding bromance, Andy, with Jared Goff. After all these years, you, you realize I he know, was it's a quarterback, Back won all along. Yeah, so maybe I knew it all along and it just, you know, wasn't there. But, you know, I, I just... I I just really like watching him play quarterback. Maybe it's a function of my age. I don't know. Obviously, he's not a runaround secondary action quarterback, which, of course, you know, so many people talk about now as being something that's necessary to play the position. One can debate that, of course. You know, maybe we'll even debate it at some point. But uh, certainly Goff is not that player. But, uh, you know, based on the people that taught me the quarterback position, Um, and the number one person who taught me that was Bill Walsh, you know, that's where everything started for me with Bill Walsh really teaching me the, the, the quarterback position and everything that's involved in it. To me, Jared Goff just is a joy to watch. I mean, he, he sees it, he understands it. He knows where to look, you know, uh, he understands that he doesn't need to be seeing seven guys. Um, he goes through progressions. He's a pretty thrower of the football, um, he just knows how to play the quarterback position uh, at a pretty high level and of course obviously throws a beautiful ball so for me yeah. within the context of that offense of course because i think ben johnson their offensive coordinator does an outstanding job with their route concepts their spacing all those things that that help a quarterback with primary with primary reads I just think Goff looks so efficient and so comfortable running that offense.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think he looks more comfortable running that offense than he ever has at any point in his NFL career. And I think they've done a great job of of knowing what he is and playing to that. They still yep. go under center, longer developing. Their, their routes are going to be a little more downfield. One thing that's always been interesting to me about Goff, and it actually interests me more now, because I think this was a, a – and tell me if you agree with the statement too. For, I don't think he was – he was literally not a second reaction player in L.A. Like I think there were stretches, seasons, where he had zero truly second reaction plays. I don't feel like he is a, a non-entity. That's certainly by no means what he is. But I don't feel like there's a 0% chance that he'll make a say. I think he has been a little better outside the pocket, outside of structure – he'll never be that completely that's not his game and i think the reason why is when i get want to get your thoughts on i think a big reason why it's not his game is he's got a little bit of a longer delivery it's kind of a yep. wind up elongated throwing motion that's not conducive to throwing off a platform very much my question for you cuz i've had this discussion with 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 a lot of people a- including people that have been around golf a lot has there ever been, and maybe I asked you this once, has there ever been a quarterback? Who's the best long delivery quarterback you've seen? Let's put it that way.
1: Wow. That's a great question. Um, I know you're putting me on the spot and I'd have to think about it. Um, Cause you know, normally, you know, long I can't think of a name immediately. Maybe as we keep talking, one will pop yeah. up, but, but I think long delivery is a relative term. I mean, I, Goff is certainly not compact, let's say, the way a young quarterback like C.J. Stroud is compact or even some some sort of velocity throwers like a Carson Palmer was compact. Um, I wouldn't put Goff in that category, uh, but I wouldn't say he's elongated either. You know, there there's there's shades in there. There's a spectrum there, you know he's not an elongated thrower that's slow with his delivery, but you're right. He, he falls more to that side because he's a strider. And yeah, yeah so, uh, but I think over the course of his career, I think he has sped up a little bit when he has to. And, uh, you know, and obviously if you don't have to, you don't have to, it depends on the pocket and whether it's secure and clean. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think that, he he's. You're right. He's not a second reaction quarterback. He's not going to run around. Um, uh, but I I don't think he's immobile in the sense that you can't get him outside the pocket by design. Which of course the Lions do. And you know so much of this is coaching as well. I mean because I've been watching a lot of golf this season and I watched all his games last year and this summer ended up watching I think the final ten games over again when they were 8-2 and because I just wanted to really get a feel for Goff and the Ben Johnson offense. So I've seen a lot of Goff over the last four or five months. Um, You know, I think one of the things, and this is where coaching comes in, they are really good at a 12 personnel, meaning one back and two tight ends. And the reason I think these things are important and why it's coaching is because you know how it is. When you line up in in certain personnel packages, particularly let's say it's first down or a normal down and distance situation, and you're playing with two tight ends, a high percentage of the time, Andy, you're going to get base personnel from the defense. Whatever that defense's base personnel package is, it could be 5-2, it could be 4-3, it could be big nickel. Whatever it may be, mm-hmm. the point is you're going to know from film study what they do with their fronts and their coverages out of base personnel because it's normally the menu is smaller in terms of what you do out of base defensive personnel than it is out of your sub fronts and your sub coverages. So that helps a quarterback because it it just, it it clarifies things before the snap of the ball. And I think that's what good coaching does. And I think they've been so, so good at a 12 personnel. Yeah. It'll be interesting to
0: see. I didn't check the, the numbers in the Tampa Bay game, they did. They played a lot of twelve against Tampa, though. I remember they did. seeing that on the film. You know, they haven't had Jamison Williams all year. Now they've got him. He looks like he's in the mix of things. Amon Ross St. Brown was out when Williams came back for that one week. Now they've both played together. You know, Josh Reynolds getting a little better. I'll be interested to see if they're able to stick with the twelve and stay patient with. They probably will. And it's they I mean, they're not overly deep at wide receivers. We talked through this. I think their top two guys are pretty good. It'll be interesting. Um, I mean, do you, you get what I'm saying? Like like the Goff's first team, for example, with the Rams, they were going to be a 12 personnel offense and they got there and found out Cooper cup at the time. He was the number three receiver was sensational. So we're going to be 11 personnel. And right, right. You and I talked about this a few weeks ago. And it's one thing I get reminded of by coaches. Adam Gase told me years ago too. Denver played 11 personnel and they had Welker there. They played all 11, and it was kind of an issue of contention at times within the building, offensive coach, defensive head coach. And the point was these are our best players. They're the best guys on the field. So I would imagine, I guess, Detroit, do you think they view their 12 personnel package as their best package,
1: all things equal? Um, and by the way, I want to come back to Mr. Cup at some point, but I don't, I don't know if the answer to that is because they view them as their best personnel or – if they feel that the defenses that they're playing are most predictable in 12 personnel. You know, those are two different things. Um yeah. but just so you know, I did do the numbers from this past week on Goff at a 12 and he was 14 for 18 for 139 and he was not sacked. So, yeah. the question is um was that something cuz I think it was their most their most attempts out of 12 in any game this year. So the question is is this something they're going to continue or was this specific to the Bucks' defense that they just played? And we don't know the answer to that till more games are played, but you know, don't forget the Bucks are a team under Todd Bowles as, as you and I both know from years of film study with Todd Bowles is that he likes to pressure and his pressures tend more to come out of the, the sub packages they love to use David White as a, as a blitzer. So you know, maybe they just felt that they could control and manipulate the Bucks defense better out of twelve versus the Bucks base. Yeah, that's it's it's an interesting question because the Bucks do get very
0: multiple in their sub packages. Yep, you know Detroit they'll stay balanced with the run game as well, and that's another part of all this stuff. I think. And, and would you agree that is Goff a quarterback that needs to play in an offense that has a run pass balance to it?
1: Uh to some extent, yes. Um, as I learned many, many years ago when I really started studying film and, and uh, you know, got into it in great depth, you don't need to run the ball effectively to have an effective play-action pass game. That's always been a myth. But what it does do is it allows you formationally and through the use of personnel to pretty much dictate how defenses will respond so yes I do think he does need some sense of a run pass balance and by the way they're very very good out of play action and I personally am believe which they're very good at what I call conventional play action meaning the quarterback under center I yeah. think that they're really good out of that and I, I think play action is more effective with the quarterback under center for this reason and please weigh in you have a lot of experience with this from where you places you've been. Um, But I think when it takes longer for the mesh point to show itself, it causes more hesitation in second level defenders. Uh, Shotgun play action is so quick that you're almost not really engendering a reaction in second level defenders, you know, because it's gone like that. Whereas uh, particularly teams that run outside zone, which obviously uh, we know that the lions do, um, you know, it just takes longer for second-level defenders to have to wait and see. Is this a pass? Is this a run? And also something I think that's often overlooked. And I remember doing film pieces about this on the matchup show with the Rams, you know, in their heyday when Todd Gurley was there, um, is The other thing about outside zone run action is very often the defensive linemen, their first couple of steps are lateral and not vertical. So it actually allows your offensive linemen to get in better pass blocking position, and it gives your quarterback a more secure pocket. So I'm personally a believer in the the conventional play-action pass game as a better way to deploy play-action. Well, what stands out, Goff has
0: a lot of trust. He's almost... Who is the other guy we've talked about that has trust in these? They're kind of a more – some of their stuff's a little more quick hitting in Miami, which is interesting. But on those play actions you're describing, Goff has a lot of trust thrown between the numbers on those. Ah. I can envision several completions to Josh Reynolds. He's one guy between five defenders, and he's open just enough, and it's a 20-yard gain. They did that against Tampa. They had one early against Kansas City in week one. Uh, by the way, Greg, I was looking up as, as we were talking. Tampa has played base against 12 – all season long. So the Buccaneers or the me, the Lions knew going in. The Lions knew it. that going in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I've had that conversation with coaches before. Do you need to set up the run or establish the run in order to set up play action? And kind of the answer we've taken away, and it's, it's interesting because an offensive coach brought it up with me a few weeks ago. Uh, he wasn't feeling as great about elements of his run game, and this came into the conversation. So I've both sides have, have told me this, defense and offense. If you're doing the slower developing play actions like you're talking about, you don't need to establish the run in order to set up play action. Where you maybe do is if think of those 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 bang play actions that Brady used to hit Rob Gronkowski on those quick downhill. You know, with that, that's a little bit of a different story. But the slower developing run plays, which you naturally get with some of those wide zone looks, you're not. Yeah, you're not dependent on setting up the run in order to handle the the play. Think of it this way. If a a defense weren't going to honor that run, uh, that run look, a defender would have to basically hang in there for one and a half to two seconds, dishonoring the run look. I mean, that's a huge gamble. You're not wired like that as an athlete to take a chance for one and a half and two seconds. You're going to go react to what you're seeing on that run play.
1: And two thoughts. You mentioned, you know, the Brady, that's sort of what I call bang play action, which a lot of teams do. Um, a lot of teams do that with a pulling guard, which really shows run action as well. They do it more with a pulling guard as opposed to a zone look. So you really get that defined run look from the guard, which really helps, obviously, get a second-level reaction. Um, well,
0: and, and, and one thing with that, too, that's, to your point about making the defenders move horizontally, that pulling guard's going to and engender horizontal movement as well because they have to travel. Defenders travel with that guard because the run gap's are traveling with that guard.
1: Right. Um, But I always felt that the D-line reaction to, you know, outside zone run action was always overlooked. Everybody says second-level defenders, which is true, of course. But, you know, as I said, I can remember doing pieces over the years for the matchup show where you'd see the defensive line and they would move laterally for two steps. And that's what you want because they're not then attacking the quarterback and attacking the pocket. And and that then gives the quarterback more time. Um, But – You know, and I've always said this, and maybe maybe I'm being a little sarcastic, but I think it's true. I don't think defenders, if it's the third quarter, let's say, and the offense has run the ball 12 times for 20 yards, there's nobody on the defensive side of the ball in their defensive huddle that says, hey, guys. They've only run the ball 12 times for 20 yards. Therefore, we don't have to worry about the run game. No one says that. They're playing how they're taught to play, you know. So if they see run action – they react based on how they're taught to play. That's the way it works. Now, obviously, if a team comes out and the first possession, they just grind it out and they're gaining six, seven, eight yards every time they hand off, yes, maybe that changes the dynamic of a particular game because you feel like you've got to buck up as a defense and really get physical and play the run. But, you know, defensive players are taught to read things. They're not taught to, you know, do math in their heads as to what the, uh, you know, what the run game is throughout the course of a game yeah can i do the bar room question for you sure go ahead i'll let's see if i answer it i don't need i don't need like a shot of tequila to answer this do i yeah you you might on this one uh okay so
0: a big discussion point heading into the season who are the quarterbacks in the nfc afc has all these top quarterbacks who were the guys in the nfc where is goff fit in with stafford playing for the Rams pretty well brock purdy with the niners jalen hurts was kind of everybody's number one NFC QB, if you will, coming into the season. You know, where does Goff fit into that part of the the big picture in the NFC? Goff as a lion yeah. specifically.
1: Well, which actually then bleeds into that larger discussion of, you know, can he quote unquote win a game by himself, which is another barroom question. I'm I'm throwing your barroom question back with another barroom question, yeah. you know, because that's what you hear all the time. You know, you hear it with with Brock Purdy, for instance, particularly, let's say, after this weekend's game, which, quite frankly, if you watch the tape of that, that wasn't the narrative that people think it is. But that's another point, a different point. But anyway, um, uh, you know, that's what you get into. You get into the conversation that, hey, if, if the Lions are in a game in the third and fourth quarter and they have to throw and Goff has to drop back every time, you know, can he can he, quote unquote, put the team on his back and win the game? Um I think stylistically, that's very possible. I'm not comparing Goff to Tom Brady by any means, but we know Tom Brady did that. We know Drew Brees has done that. And though they were not running around and making plays. It is stylistically possible to do that. Sure. Um, you know, I think Goff, the way he's played going back to midseason last year, he's played at an extremely high level. And I have no problem saying that the the concepts of their pass game have helped him do that that's what coaches are supposed to do you know so I don't have a problem saying he's part of him playing at a high level is the fact that this is an incredibly well-schemed well-designed pass game that allows him to play with tremendous confidence see things clearly deliver the ball with timing and rhythm you know that's that's part of what coaches do
0: yeah no I, I I'm with you on that Tell you my Jared Goff story real quick, because if if someone's still listening, it means they're, they're they're a Jared Goff fan at this point. The first time I met him, I was at Sports Illustrated. I, I went to Cal to do a film room thing with, with Jared. Oh with yeah, yeah. Yeah, coming he was entering the uh entering the draft. His agent was Carson Wentz's agent as well. So once I got a, a an arrangement with Goff, we got Wentz, and now we got this little quarterback series that we're so doing. So were those the
1: Tolners? Were you dealing with the Tolners? It was a Toners. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Nima
0: yeah. Nima zaravi's your media guy. And he's excellent. He's very right. Fantastic. Right. Cooper, right. I know the Toners. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and this will Greg remind me, we'll bring up Nima at the end. Cause I, I know you want to get the Cooper cup. And so we'll circle. Right. Back right. There. Right. But anyway, our, 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 and I can say this because this was an out and I don't remember who we hired. It was an outsourced group. It was not sports illustrated people, but whoever we hired as the camera crew, Crap the bed spectacularly. They brought one camera when the job needed six or seven cameras. It was just a handheld. They didn't even right, have right. light and stuff, and it, and then they couldn't get the microphone unattached. It was plugged in and stuck. So Jared Goff showed up five minutes early. Of course, our camera people are running a little late, and for twenty minutes they sit there messing with the microphone. It's just Goff Goff and me sitting there at a table silently waiting it was the angriest i've ever been professionally inside i wasn't showing it but uh we were so ill prepared afterwards we did we filmed it all goff offered to stick around and redo some of it cuz he knew we would benefit if we filmed it right, at different right. angles and i just thought what you know he could have easily been pissed off cuz we wasted a lot of his time and you know it was nice of him to offer that that's just standard good guy stuff i thought people would appreciate the the everyday good guy kind of story.
1: Yeah, you know, just getting back, and then we'll move on, you know, because it's probably, you know, too much golf. But I think one of the things that gets overlooked with quarterbacks, and it shouldn't get overlooked, it's like receivers who, you know, have great hands is Goff does not miss routine throws. He's a precise ball location thrower. And you know, I think sometimes we lose sight of that with with the idea that you know, as I said, guys have to make plays outside of structure. Guys have to make special plays. You know, sometimes just making the routine play over and over and over and over again within the structure of your offense that's a really high-level trait because you and I have seen many times over the years quarterbacks miss what would be considered layup throws, and in the NFL you can't miss layup throws. Some people have won six Super Bowls playing that way. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Right, like
0: so, Cooper Cup. What, what do you? Got well, the you reason started? I,
1: you know, obviously I've watched him the last two weeks, and and of course I've watched him over the years, but you know, having been around him, I, you know. And I have my own view of this, of course, just from, you know, watching football, um, you know, for a long time. But if you had to explain, you know, the Cliff Notes version, as it were, or maybe not the Cliff Notes since we're just sitting here talking ball, why Cooper Cup is a great receiver, what is it? You know, here's what you hear all the time. He's a great route runner. Nobody ever explains, Andy, what that means. They just say someone's a great route runner, you know. What does that mean? Obviously, I'm asking you, I have a sense of it, but I mean, what yeah. does, when it comes to Cooper Cup? what does that mean? I think he has a really high-level feel for how leverage
0: is deployed in coverage from individual defenders. He understands, first he's going to read the coverage like a quarterback will, and then he's going to understand, all right, if it's that coverage and that read and it's this formation I'm coming out of, this defender's going to have to play it that way. And if I threaten him this way, he's going to have to react this way. And Cup is great at, okay, I know this. I'm going to threaten him that way, get that reaction, and then go this way. That's why he's so good on those choice routes and just yep. the nuance of setting up at the top of his route, how he'll stem and angle his body just enough. He does that getting into his routes as well. So I think he is a probably a genius when it comes to understanding the body mechanics that defenders are obligated to use within the context of the coverage call.
1: Wow, that's a great way to describe it. So if I could take that one step further and maybe clarify it to some degree for the audience. So let's say uh, they're playing cover three. Okay, cover three, meaning there's three deep defenders. So a receiver needs to know if he's lined up on the outside that that corner cannot be beaten deep over the top in his deep third. That's his responsibility, right? He can't be beaten deep over the top in his deep third. So let's say you want to run a route where you're technically going to break inside, but you want to make sure that you threaten that defender deep in his deep third because he can't allow that to happen. So if you can threaten him that way, you make his body the term you use is body mechanics or body position. You make his body turn a certain way because he has to say, oh, no, I can't get beat over the top. So I have to turn a certain way so I make sure I'm not getting beat over the top. And then at, when that happens, you're giving up something else. And that's what Cooper Cup is so you know, I'm just giving a very, you know, Cliff Notes example, but he's so good at understanding, okay, I just got him to turn. Now he can't cover the route that I really want to run. Yeah, does and that make
0: sense? It makes perfect sense. And, and to just keep the cover three example alive, Cup has benefited obviously in a system that, for one, if he's aligned outside, it's often in a minus split. So that cover right, three is split yeah. already because you can't press the receiver in a minus split. He's got a two way go on you. It's a lot, you know, it's, it's you a can't lot harder play cover three and press him anyway. So, but for two, he's often not aligned outside. He's going to be aligned inside a lot of these times. So he's facing the hook defender, the linebacker, the down safety, whoever it would be, and that's an inherent mismatch for one. For two, he's going to understand the body mechanic stuff that those guys have. And, Greg, one thing I wonder, I'd love to ask him, because he's a very dedicated run blocker as well, and he's very good in the run game, and the Rams ask a lot of their receivers and a lot of their receivers in the run game. I wonder if his understanding of the run game how much that informs his understanding of the leverage and technique that defenders will have to use on him in coverage as well. If, in other words, if he knows, Hey, this strong safety's down here, that's, I have to, I have to influence the strong safety and then beat the linebacker inside of him somehow. How much does cups understanding of the, Hey, the strong safety's got a run gap. The linebacker has a run gap. They have to do this. I bet you that's a big part of what makes him effective at manipulating those guys is he also understands their responsibilities beyond their coverages.
1: I would agree with that a thousand percent Um, because obviously the tighter the formation, the more there are reduced splits, which is a true foundation of what the Rams do. um, The more that you get corners and safeties technically involved in the run game because they're closer to the formation. And I guarantee he's aware based on fronts. He's probably for a receiver. He's probably well aware of fronts, and, and how um, second and third level defenders are involved in gaps within those fronts. I bet you're a thousand percent right. You know, the one thing watching the two games he's played this year, and now that they've traded Van Jefferson, he's playing more X, you know, he was not really a boundary X on the backside of trips very, very often in his career. Um, and this year um, the last, le- in the two games he's played and particularly this past week against the Cards, he had significant snaps at the boundary X on the backside of trips. And I'm very curious to see if he's going to play more of that because they really don't have a boundary X on the roster. And, and, you know, they don't. And he, I think he's good enough to be anything, but I'm very curious to see going forward. If he plays in that position, you know, far more than he ever, ever has.
0: Yeah, that I mean, it seems like they almost would have to, I would think, because Tutu Atwell has to play on the move to a certain level. He's, which means you gotta line him off the ball, use him in motion, get him space, use the speed. Yeah, Puka Nakua has had a phenomenal season. Very excellent contested catch guy, strong hands. He's not a separator though. I mean, he was a what was he a fifth round pick, I believe. Yeah, you no, know, he's he, he needs he's great for how they use him, and he's in in but. He's not a boundary X. Cup would have to be the answer to that if they yeah. a guy
1: outside. Because Nakua needs route combinations. And route combinations come from, you know, two or three guys. Uh, you know, the boundary X has to be able to win one-on-one. And, again, I know Nakua put up great numbers and more power to him. I mean, it's a great story. But I don't think he can do that, at, certainly not at this point in his career, consistently enough to say he's your boundary X. So Did it's you, probably so going to you- have to be Cup. You said – I haven't seen the Rams-Cardinals film yet. Did they use Atwell in motion
0: a whole lot in that game?
1: Well, let me tell you this. Are you familiar with the game at all, even though you
0: haven't seen the tape? No, I've seen all the other games, and Atwell was in motion big time, more than anyone in the league, well, literally, for three weeks, and then they kind of gotten away away from it. I'm he was why. in
1: motion, but they, they came out in the second half, Andy, and they ran the ball. I mean, uh, in the oh, first I,
0: half – Oh, I, I did see that. I saw it on Kyron TV. Williams had yeah. two
1: carries for four yards in the first half. He had 18 carries for 154 yards in the second half. All 18 runs had motion. So they used motion incredibly in the run game. So, yes, Adwell was in motion, but they also – took a page you know to me and and maybe coach McVay would disagree but well a lot of what they did looked like the Niners where they'd motion across the tight end across the formation and he'd kind of be the kickout blocker you know I know Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan have a history together so I'm sure they you know there's a lot of the same principles and concepts in the run game but uh, yeah they they ran the ball incredibly well in the uh, second half, but Adwell was in motion quite a bit. In fact, his only catch was 30 yards and it was, he was in motion on that given play. So um, uh, yeah, so they're, they're still using, you know, again, there's all kinds of different stats, uh, but I think they've used motion. um, The second highest percentage behind the dolphins, um, which could be a good segue into the dolphins, but the second, uh, the second highest percentage of, of motion behind the dolphins of any team in the NFL.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. By the way, let's let's definitely hit on the Dolphins. That motion you're describing with the tight end moving, I know the Niners, I think they kind of will tell you, they they lifted it from Greg Roman. He was doing that a lot in Baltimore, and the Niners have mainstreamed it, and then everyone else started doing it. After the 2021 season, I heard stories of teams were sending footage to the league saying, hey, these 49er guys on this tight end jet motion or whatever we're going to call it, the tight end is drifting upfield at the snap, yeah. that's a legal forward motion. Yeah. And you know what the NFL said? They said, well, read the rule book. They're actually allowed to do that if it's under, like, I think it has to be under a yard at the time of the snap. Right. And so once that, I don't, teams did not know the rule. And once they knew the rule, now you look, everybody's guy drifts just a little bit. up. And everybody's so doing it. Thing, they sent a memo out, but the Niners knew the rules better than anyone else. Dolphins with their motion. All right. Where do you want to begin with that? Because they're going to face an Eagles defense that plays its corners. I assume Slay is going to be at left corner. Bradbury is probably a right corner. Yeah. That's, you know, they're great players. They've done a nice job with that scheme. But if you know where the defenders are, your motion, I think, you know, where does Mike McDaniel begin with some of his motion deployment in well, this game Then knowing that?
1: I think the larger question when you play – and we've, you and I have had this conversation, probably not in the context of this podcast, but I think it's a good one to have. You know, I think when you play the Dolphins, because the ball gets out so quick, I believe two has only been sacked six times in six games, and I, he's not been hit very much at all. He's not faced very many muddied pockets at all, Andy. You know, we, yeah. we both see the tape. I've seen every game. You know, I think when you play the Dolphins, it starts with coverage, not pressure. You have to find a way... Um, through studying the Dolphins of taking away those first window throws, your pass rush is not going to get there. Now, if it's third and nine or third and 12, obviously the the paradigm changes. We know that. But in normal down and distance situations, it's really more about how you play coverage. Um, But they pose a lot of problems because of the use of motion. And there's so many multiple motions that they use. They give you so much eye candy. And what happens when a team gives you a lot of eye candy is it shrinks your menu. You know, your calls, you can't be as multiple with your calls, you know, before the snap of the ball. Because if one guy makes a mistake, you know, you get caught for a 60-yard touchdown. So I'm really curious to see how the Eagles go about trying to defend this pass game. Teams have obviously struggled. Obviously the only team that I wouldn't say struggled were the Bills. Same division though. They're used to playing them. They, you know, Poyer did not play in that game, Jordan Poyer, but Micah High is a veteran safety who has seen the Dolphins many, many times. So he has a really good feel. The Eagles, we don't even know who their safeties are going to be, as you and I are discussing this midweek. Um, and and quite frankly, Darius Slay, who'll be back, I believe, from injury this week, and, and James Bradbury have not played at a really high level this year, not the level we've seen them play at in the past up to this point. So I'm fascinated to see what their new coordinator, Sean Desai, comes up with because you have got to somehow take away that first window throw. It's just you're not going to get there on first and 10 when they call a pass play.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting. And then some of the motions the way they've gotten you outside now, there's toss crack plays that they run, getting you to the perimeter. Oh. That's got to be that's sec, is that how secondary is that? Obviously, you don't want Tyree kill getting an 80-yard touchdown on you. That's kind of your starting place when you think of your defensive game plan. I would imagine. At what point in the conversation does the run defense come into play? Well, wow. we've seen them light teams up on the ground as well.
1: They've been doing that. I mean, again, if, if you kind of reduce the Dolphins' offense to its Cliff Notes version, okay? There's so much more, obviously, in any offense. But the Cliff Notes version, to me, of the Dolphins' offense this season has been run game on the perimeter, pass game between the numbers. I think that's what they are. Um, and they get mostered outside. I mean, he's a four-two-eight guy or whatever he is. You know, it's easy to say, okay, we'll let them hand off. But then Mostert gets outside, maybe outflanks your defense, and all of a sudden he's off to the races. Um, so you know it's it's it, it's a little bit of a dilemma. Um, you know I, I'm just I, I'm so curious how the Eagles choose to play this. I don't think you can just line up and play your normal way like they're a normal team. Well, what would be the solution? I mean, Philadelphia
0: ideally they want to they want to start in that split safety look and then rotate to something post-snap, is that available to them? Or does that – I mean, that's a a quarter structure. That's kind of what Buffalo did. Is that the starting place?
1: I almost think you have to stay – and, again, nothing's 100%. I don't want people to think I'm talking every play. I almost think, though, you have to play split safety because otherwise it's just too hard to play hill. I mean, if you're going to play single high – And then you just line uphill, let's say, you know, on the edge of the outside numbers, you know, he's going to run by Slayer or Bradbury. I mean, unless you're just playing way off and then you're just giving him the, you know, the quick hitch throw, you know, then you're just giving them throws. Um, Yeah, uh, because the the thing is, we talk about their motion, which is so prevalent, but then he can just line up on the outside as he did this week and run by your corner, Uh, you know, so. You have to be careful. I'm not saying you, you are going to play split safety on every snap, and certainly you're going to try to have some kind of safety rotation to at least create a fraction of a second of doubt into his mind. But I don't think you can make a living playing single high safety against this offense.
0: Yeah, no, I don't either. I, th- I think, and then the question is, okay, what does that mean for your run defense? And how do you defend yeah. the run? Because they will attack you. On the perimeter. So that's what, that's one thing that surprised me a few weeks ago. All that talk of Jonathan Taylor maybe going to Miami. If you ask me, Raheem Mostert in that offense is a better weapon than a Jonathan Taylor in that offense anyway, because of how good they are on build up speed plays to yep. the perimeter.
1: Yeah. Because agree? of the, the speed and the, the way he can run on the perimeter, which is essentially yeah. how they run the football. Um, you know, so, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, I think that speed, that's why Devin A. Chain, who's obviously not playing uh, on Sunday night, but, uh, you know, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. That's why he's so valuable in, in that offense. I mean, hes he ran under a 4-3, I think, at the combine. It's all speed, um, and it's just hard to defend. And then with all those motions, I mean, you know, I, there's different ways teams can go about playing motion. We know that. But the one thing I don't think you want to do is get caught up with two or three guys having to adjust in response to motion because if one guy is late getting to his responsibility, then you're giving up big plays.
0: Yeah. Would you ever, I mean, this is spitballing, and then we'll get out of here. In theory, tell me what, tell me if this is flawed or not, because this just came to the top of my head. Would you ever adjust your fronts and widen some of your fronts in response to some of these things on the motion? Like, Almost a Jim Schwartz two wide nine techniques, yeah, and or, or extend your your overhang, or if you're if you're somehow let's say they're in penny and five down five down front one stack linebacker, would you widen those guys to walk them out over the slot almost? I mean, was that is that available to a defense? What's the downside? <clears throat>
1: well, Minnesota, some of this
0: stuff. We ought to look at look at Minnesota too. Yeah,
1: it's it's an interesting question. Um, you know how you go, but look, the Eagles. Um, well the here, before I answer that, the other thing that makes the, the Dolphins interesting is they play the highest percentage of 21 personnel in the league. So they play with a fullback. So this is not a spread team in the way we think of spread teams. So the first question you have to answer is how do you want to treat their 21 personnel? I personally would argue that you want to treat their 21 like 11. I think I would too. Not, yeah. And yeah. I would I would not give that a second thought either. I know Carolina
0: mixed in penny and nickel against it. And it, what, I would, I would just say that's 11 personnel and uh, Alec Ingold. You're going to be a slot receiver in our minds today on paper.
1: Right. I mean, again, Sean decides a lot smarter than I am, uh, you know, obviously, and he knows his personnel way better than I do. I'm just not sure I'd want to play a lot of five, one fronts because there's only one player at the second level. And I think that poses a problem, you know, in your run defense. Um, And actually it even poses a problem in your underneath coverage, you know? So, I'd be real curious how they just line up their fronts. You know, I, yeah. I think you need more underneath defenders because so many throws come between the numbers. I guess it,
0: I guess what I'm thinking is theoretically on a five-down front, a widened five-down front where right. the edge guys are in a position to almost disrupt passing lanes, almost a 3-3 three, three front, if you will. Like those edge guys I'm thinking would be loose, and uh, lend a presence to the tight split. in You know, route you can
1: almost argue that that's, it's funny you say that because in the big 12 uh, and this is college football. Now, so many teams play three, three, they do that more to deal with the RPO game, but in some ways the dolphin offense is like an RPO game because everything is so quick rhythm, you know, uh, and i'm sure there are rpo elements obviously involved but not every fake handoff is an rpo as we know um but You know, who knows? This might be one of those weeks where you just have to do something a little different. And again, I'm not suggesting they're going to go in there and score 70 points like they did a few weeks ago. You know, games are crazy. They're coming to Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia teams have a way of coming to Philly, and things get a little crazy because of the fan base. So I'm not – you know, who knows how the game's going to play out. But I'm just talking – I'm trying to talk tactically. You know, how do you match up to this offense tactically? And who knows? Maybe a 3-3? is a way to go, you know, just to try to, you know, squeeze those inside passing lanes a little bit. You know, that's, you have to try to do that. You've got to try to take away those first window throws. Yeah. It's a great analysis,
0: Greg. Why don't you give us a score for the game on Sunday night then?
1: Uh, 70 to 58. No, no. Uh,
0: uh, well, that, the ratings will be huge for that. Though. Right, right, right. I mean, up,
1: I love it. you know, again, the NFL has been crazy this year. I mean, we just saw a game on, on Sunday Night Football with, um, uh, you know, Buffalo and the Giants, and I'm sure everybody thought going into that game that it would be 35-10, to 10, and obviously it wasn't. Um, and it was in Buffalo, no less. So, you know, I'm yeah. not a good pr- prognosticator and picker of games. I, I would think there would be points scored in this game. That That's the way I would see this game. Now, again, what that means, Andy, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say 42-35, but I would think they'll – there'll be offensive points scored in this game.
0: Yeah, you actually answered the question. For Warren. I wasn't – you know, I don't no, – no disrespect. I don't care anyone's score for the game. Right, 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 but, nor but do you I. Answer, you entertained the question more than I thought you would. Sometimes when you get the best offenses – remember there was that game in the playoffs, the Chiefs and the Colts many years – 15 years ago now, I want to say, maybe a little more even, where no one punted for almost the whole game. yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And that game was like 35-28 or something like that. Yeah. And wasn't there a game? The, officers, the score stays low because it's just an, the clock keeps moving. There's no incompletions. It's efficient first downs. High scoring doesn't necessarily mean that's the best offense.
1: No. But wasn't there, in terms of a game flow. There was a Monday night game a number of years ago. Was it Chiefs-Rams? That was like 52-49 wasn't there a the one in Mexico the one in well it was supposed to be in Mexico City and it wound up going back to Los
0: Angeles. But wasn't
1: that wasn't it like a 52-49 game? Uh,
0: maybe even higher. It was like one of the all-time record games. People yeah. people are going to think or idiots for not knowing that number of them.
1: And, that and one, I think too, it was Go- was it Goff versus Mahomes?
0: Yeah, it was yeah, it was a great showdown. Yeah. That one had like three defensive touchdowns in it. Yeah, too, it, was, it
1: was it was it was one of the most yeah. fun games to watch. Absolutely.
0: Well, I remember so, the, the, the Patriots-Rams Super Bowl in 2018. Those were, I, was, I think, the number one and number two offense in the league. Kind of who gets the 31st kind of game. What was that, 10 to 13 to 3 in the end? It was like 3 to That's four right. That's eight. right.
1: Yeah. That's right. And even yeah. even going back to the Giants-Patriots Super Bowl um, when it was 17-14 and the Giants won on the late Plaxico Burris touchdown, that – that's when, you know, the Patriots were putting up all those points and everybody assumed it was going to be a 35-31 game and it was 17-14. So yeah. you never you never know. You know, all you can do is analyze what we have on tape up to this point, but you just never know how a specific game will play out. Ben Allen, our producer,
0: just chatted me. 54-51 was the score of that Mexico game, and I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm I sure knew it was, was in the – f- I knew somebody had 50. Yeah, so, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> right. Cool. Well, Greg, I'll let you go. Appreciate you. Hit that subscribe button. This is behind the screen. Andy Benoit, Greg Coast cell. See you next week.